<laughs> hello everybody and welcome back to if you're coming back and if you're new hello to my livelihood our podcast with my husband and partner in crime ed k smith hi ed hello hello how are and you all? our wonderful guest paula smith today hi paula hello lois hello ed hello hey. everyone hello paula how hey. you going i'm good how are you two doing Pretty good, pretty good. Fantastic. And this is episode 12, so we are we have made the dozen, not the baker's dozen, but the dozen. So you're very special today, Paula, oh, as yeah. our 12th guest. You're very well, 12th, special. 12th episode. We've actually, Ed and I, riff occasionally by ourselves, you know, and have a bit of a chat. So, but it's, it's lovely to catch up with you again and see you. And we did see each other in person not that long ago, but it's nice to see you over the, the digital realm as well. For those people watching, Paula looks lovely in her special studio there in the hills, her digital studio. But if you're listening, you'll just hear her dulcet tones today. And you might be wondering who is this enigma, Paula Smith? Well, Paula helps people make an impact through what she calls presentation intelligence. And I noticed, Paula, that is registered registered as, as a I guess a trademark or becoming a trademark and leadership communication so I, I Ed and I've both known Paula quite some years quite some even perhaps edging to decades and um, mm. and yeah we've had lots of interactions we've done some bits and pieces together I've actually been on the receiving end <laughs> of Paula's training in a good, many, in a good way ago. in a good way, <laughs> in a good way. Um, and so we might talk about you know cert four of old and things like that which I, I I did under a bit of duress but um Paula made it a fantastic experience I'd heard how cert four is a nightmare and Paula made it not a nightmare actually really really fun that was a long, long time ago <laughs> so paula can you give us a little kind of synopsis of what you're doing now and then we're going to delve back into a little bit of your past go down memory lane excellent so what i'm doing now well i guess i'm in this the the same niche of the same industry and most people know me for the world of powerful presenting or of course like you mentioned my trademark is presentation intelligence which is really leadership from the front of the room. And it's the art, science and practice of powerful presenting. So, uh, and of course, my master's research was in leadership communication and leadership from the front of the room and the power of story. So I'm, I'm still in that world of presenting. And, uh, but of course, I have a training company on the side and I, I work in leadership and teams and presenting and all the real good fun stuff that comes along with owning your own business and running a busy training company. Yes, yes. Fantastic. So, the, the world of presenting and it's great because Paula presents on presenting and she presents as well. <laughs> so she's very much walking her talk, everybody. Um, so Paula, one of the reasons we wanted to get you on my livelihood, not just because we think you're fabulous and we want to have you on as our guest, but also um, I know we've had chats about this before, but you really were an entrepreneur at a very young and tender age, weren't you? When did you first make your foray into being in business for yourself? Well, what you might not know, I think my first, um, my first introduction to entrepreneurship, I was nine years old. So maybe wow. a little bit younger than you think. <laughs> my first real business, I was 19. But my, my first introduction to entrepreneurship, I was nine years old and I started running local puppet shows in my front garden. Oh. And I charged the kids in the street 20 cents per person to come and watch my amazing talent running these puppet shows. 
And, uh, and I thought I was doing a great job. And, and the whole reason behind that is um, we, not, we needed to go to the Royal Show. And I thought that you know, I would just save some extra money and that would be a really good way of saving some money to go to the Royal Show as money was a bit tight when I was growing up. And uh, anyway, my mum found out what was going on and I thought she was going to be so impressed. But she said I was profiteering from my friends and I needed to give all the money back. She just did not appreciate my entrepreneurial oh. efforts there. But it was just a, it was just a value exchange you were providing. I know, right? Yeah, oh, that's I know. like oh dear. So, uh, it, but it certainly gave me a taste of making my own money, and I was really quite excited. But I was also loving making. There was no such thing as computers back then, so we were hand making brochures, and you know, I was popping it into the letter boxes of the kids in the street, and I just loved the whole project of running this little business of a puppet shows. <laughs> and of course, that continues through my teenage years. You know, car washes and doing all sorts of odd jobs for people. But uh, I guess my, my real uh, introduction, well, not my introduction, but my real business, I was 18, nearly 19, and started a personal development school for kids. So uh, I had always loved speaking and public speaking and performing. I grew up in an amateur theatre family. And uh, so um, I started a, a small business after about 14 or 15 full-time jobs in lots of different industries. I finally came home and said to mum and dad one day, I know what I want to do now. So my long-suffering so, uh, parents. So hang, hang on a sec. Let's just, yeah. did you say 14 or 15 full-time jobs from what age to what age? <sighs> Well, maybe we should take a little step back to when I was at school. Okay. This is after the puppet show? This is, this is, this is after the puppet post, show. This is post-puppet show, pre-going pre into business. So pre-going into business. So um, I started in your school. We, we moved and uh, we moved to, uh, we were in the country and we moved to the, uh, to the outskirts of the city. And I started a new school when I was 15. And uh, that's a pretty tough gig when you're 15 starting a, yeah. a new school. Um, and uh, so I was six weeks into this new school, didn't have a lot of friends, and I, I was struggling a little bit just to sort of fit in with my new environment. And there was a competition that uh, said, who would like to run and MC all the school assemblies? And I just thought, what a wonderful opportunity. Now, I'm thinking, what 15-year-old wouldn't want to do that? Because <laughs> everyone wanted to do something like that. So I put my hand up, put my hat in the ring, and the principal called me into the office and said, congratulations, Paula, you've got the gig. Which I thought was a little bit strange because there hadn't been any auditions or anything like that. I thought, oh, someone must have told him I was pretty good, you know, up there on the platform. Now, he confessed to me at the end of the year, I was the only person in the entire yep. school. Who had Shock to put their horror. hand up to say, pick me. I, but a remarkable thing happened because, like I said, I was a new kid on the block and next minute I was on that stage and I was visible in front of the whole school. Bingo. In two or three weeks, I was voted in as captain of Red. Now, you don't know how important that oh. is in your school. But captain of the Red sports team was a pretty big deal. Yes. And three weeks later, I was voted in by the whole school as head girl or president of the student council. Wow. And the only reason that was is because I was standing up on that platform and I was visible and people got to know, like, and trust me. So I learned at a really early age at the power mm. of speaking, the power of being visible. Yeah. And, uh, and 
and all the, you know, the likability and the, I was organised, you know, etc. But it was just such a, an impactful moment of my life when the penny dropped. It is like that. That's why I'm succeeding in this school. So fast forward from those experiences, I wanted to teach other kids and, and colleagues and friends, people who were a bit nervous about speaking. I wanted them to teach them that, that they could do it, that it wasn't a scary thing, that anyone could stand up and have the confidence to speak out and become more visible. So yeah. then, I, then I, of course, I left school and, um, and I didn't want to go directly to uni. I went to uni later on, and, but I started working and I had so many different jobs from journalism, selling shoes, you name it. I did it for those 14 uh, jobs at uh, those um, first few years. Don't, don't, tempt, don't tempt Ed Paul by saying you name it. Because <laughs> he will. <laughs> you name, you name what? Yeah. Jobs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She'll know them all, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, I learned something from every single one of those experiences. And, uh, but I did get to about 18 or 19. And I did a small business uh, course when I was 18. And I thought, oh, you know, this will be fun. I didn't even know anyone who had a small business. My parents, you know, both were, well, mum was a stay-at-home mum. My dad had a traditional job. None of our, our family friends had a business. But I uh, just came home one day and said, Mom, Dad, I think I know what I want to do. I want to be the boss. Of yeah. course, as yes. every 18-year-old wants to do. They just totally. want to be the boss. No skills, no education, no money. <laughs> I just want to be the boss. But, but I was really serious. So I started a kids' personal development school. And, uh, and I just thought it would be a little bit of a, you know, a side hustle. And uh, while I still worked full time, I, I was working for a company, part of the Sunday Times, actually, at that stage. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I had just met my husband. I was very young, met my husband. We just put a deposit on for a house. And, uh, and my husband said, you can't leave your job because we need the money to pay for mortgages, etc. And I said, well, if I can replace my full-time income, you know, can, can I then leave? So, of course, he said yes. And within six weeks, I had replaced my full-time income with this kids' personal development school. So I started with 15 students and then 30 students and 75 students. But I didn't have any money when I started to do any marketing. So the only way I knew how to grow the business was to speak about it. So I put my hand up and went into schools. Now, don't laugh, but I spruiked at the Rockingham Sunday markets. And I was spruiking and I had a little table with my brochures and flyers, etc. And before I knew it, I had a business of over 100 students. Wow. And uh, within a couple of years, uh, I had 500 students attending classes each week. Um, and that's when I decided that um, I think I might go to uni. As some of the mums and dads of the kids that I was teaching saying, can you come into our workplace and do what you're doing with the kids in, in our workplace? And um, I yeah, That's a great advertisement, isn't it? Saying yeah, how, how impactful you'd been with the kids, yeah. Uh, and I was really comfortable with the kids and teaching mm -hmm. and I, I've always loved to teach others. Um, so I started going into workplaces and I just fell in love with training. So uh, although I was training quite intuitively at that stage, I didn't really know why things worked. So that's when I decided, I thought, well, now's the time to go to uni. So, um, but I was still running my business and um, I think I maybe had one or two children at this stage as, as well and decided to go to uni and do uh, training development and human resource development and counselling and anything I could learn about communication and teaching and training. So I became a bit of a study junkie there for a while. 
And, and then my business just evolved. But I knew there was only one of me and there was only so mm. many things that I could teach. So I went down the hiring staff and hiring teachers and training teachers. Um, and even then, I just knew I could make a bigger impact. So I um, decided to go down the franchising route as well. So I, um, I ran away to the other side of the country and uh, went to the University of New South Wales and did some franchising studies and, and then came back and launched my franchise business. And uh, within a couple of years, we had about two and a half thousand kids in classes wow. each week and 14 franchisees. And when I say kids, I use that term really loosely because my youngest kid or my youngest student was three and oh. my oldest one was 73. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That is broad. That's it's a very, range. very broad. And, uh, and I started a registered training organisation as well. And, um, and so I had that business for many, many years and loved every part of it. Yeah, brilliant. I, th I think that's an interesting story in the sense of that it's, it is an interesting story on its own. But you hear this all the time. Like there's people who are entrepreneurs and they say, I started doing such and such at this age. And often it's, you know, when they were 10 or 11 or 12 and, you know, the, the common lemonade stand is always one you hear, but lots of other things. And a lot of the guys I follow who are extremely su successful, some of them multimillionaires, billionaires, did stuff like that. And I think um, that you, you can't really, well, you can teach it, but it's either in you or it's not. There are a lot of people that just, they'll never have that spark to go and do their own thing and be their own, be their own boss. So it's interesting how it's just, it was there. You didn't. You... No, it, I think people have different pathways into entrepreneurship. Like I do a lot of business yeah. coaching now and have done for many, many years. So I, I sometimes work with the accidental entrepreneurs mm. and uh, yep. the people who have got a product first and never dreamed that they would run a business. Yeah. And then there are others who are just entrepreneurial in nature and have had multiple business, which was maybe, you know, a little bit um, like my story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but each of them has a purpose for being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And I guess one of my strongest purposes or my values is I wanted to be a good mum and I wanted to be there for my kids. So being an entrepreneur or having my own business enabled me to not piss, uh, miss pancakes day or not to uh, miss those sports days. I could try to be the best mum I could and still have the freedom to be my own boss and run my own business and earn my own income. So I, I think the family balance was such a driver in me staying in my business as well. Yeah, that's great, Paula. And also what I heard, I think, early on with, when you were talking about, you know, your mum and maybe some of those money mindset things that, that happened early and, and you obviously had that real um, urge to just go and do it, you know, and, 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 and forge ahead and start your own business. And, and some people get really, you know, pulled back by that. I'm sure when you're coaching people in business, um, that can really trip them up sometimes. So I think that's something that you have in your toolkit already that's really probably helped you a lot. Um, you know, through the years and probably I'm, I'm guessing ups and downs, you know, because business isn't always plain sailing. And, you know, I remember when we were um, connecting over you doing the, the Cert 4 as it was back in the day and, you know, running an RTO is no mean feat, you know. <laughs> so I thought you're very special. You're a special breed, you know, running an RTO. And for even. those who don't know what an RTO is, what's an a RTO? A training organisation, yes. Okay, cool. 
Yes, the world of compliance and vocational education training. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been in and out of that world, you know, multiple yeah. times. And mm. uh, because, you know, I know it serves such a great purpose here in Australia as well. But, um, you know, and I'm uh, very much pragmatic in my nature, but having the innovation, the entrepreneurial side, I can be a bit of a rule breaker. And some of those things don't, don't always. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compliance, <perfectly>. entrepreneurship. <laughs> So yeah. I've written a few nationally accredited courses, you know, to have that innovation, but still try to fit into the world of compliance as well. Yeah, it's a so, tough gig. Um, it's a tough gig. And also I remember, um, Paula, a few years ago now, you wrote a book, didn't you? Yes, my, well, I've written several You've written books. you several books, yeah. Yes. I was just thinking of the one in particular that I, I, um, I think it was your first. Was it your first, um, Speaking in the Shower? Yes. So Watched yeah, in Guildford. Yeah, correct. <laughs> So speaking in the shower, presentation skills exposed was my first book, yep. and uh, and that's a real light-hearted read. I used to call it an aeroplane read. If you jumped on a plane between here and Sydney and you just got stuck into it, you could finish it at the other end if you're a fast <laughs> reader. And and that was in school libraries as well. It was it was a really nice, easy read for for teenagers as well as adults as well as people uh, putting together their presentations for the first time. Mm. Uh, then my next book would, had a much more corporate feel, which was powerful presentation principles, um, which now is actually an online a full online course. And the, the lessons and principles in that book I've been using for many, many years in my presentation skills workshops. Yeah, um, yeah. You sound like you've taken things to the other level as well in terms of um, integrating with how the brain works. Is that right? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so that was neuropresenting. Um, there was one book in between the neuropresenting one, which was Sell Your Story, and that's mm. where I interviewed many other entrepreneurs and business people, um, such as yourselves, um, who had a story to share about how they started business. So Sell Your Story was a compilation of business stories, but people selling their expertise um, right. as a business, all their stories. Um, yes, and then I, um, I started to develop neuropresenting, which is also uh, a piece of written work as well. Mm. And neuropresenting, which is also a trademark, um, is definitely about presenting with the brain in mind. So um, myself and a colleague, we were in Malaysia training. We developed a 10-day course for academics in Malaysia and we had some uh, NLP and some powerful presenting and some neuroscience. We blended into this amazing course. Uh, and then when we got back to Australia, we formalised it. And, um, and uh, I think by the, when I met you, maybe Lois, you would, um, it was the time I developed my Diploma of Presentation Skills, which is a qualification. Right, yeah. So, um, and it was coming a little bit tired, so adding the neuroscience into that qualification and then we had re-accredited. Mm. But interestingly enough, it's professionals who want to do, wanted the learning, but not necessarily the qualification. Yeah. So I deliver more professional development, sort of three days immersion on Europresenting rather than the full qualification now. Yeah. So when you were, you know, zipping around to Malaysia and here and over East for presentations and doing speaking engagements and that sort of thing. And then of course, yeah, things have changed somewhat slightly or, or more than <laughs> slightly late, of late. And well, zipping, so, yeah. and in zipping terms is of, gone. We, we obviously um, all have some colleagues in common who, you know, speaking has been their 100% income, you know, mainly been platform speakers and, and engaged by conferences and things like that. So, you know, we, we 
been laughing a little bit about some of these words that come out. You know, it's unprecedented. And the other favourite is the pivot. But, pivot? you know, yes. the, pivot is, the pivot is real. The pivot is real. So tell us a little bit, how did you pivot? Like what? Because I'm imagining some of that would have affected you as well. Yeah, it's, it's been a real interesting year. And not just myself, but as you said, our whole industry. And we were one of the first industries to go. All conferences got cancelled yeah. very yep. quickly. Like and that, I, yes. just like that, within I think a 48 hour period, you know, every email or phone call that I got was, oh, so the report of this event has been cancelled, etc. Yeah. Me doing a lot of coaching on Zoom for many mm. years. My clients are all over Australia and some internationally. Yes. That part of my business didn't really stop, although I gave everybody the option to put their coaching on hold, you know, while yep. they caught up. And, um, yeah, but, but most of them wanted to continue. So, so that part of my business continued. And, um, and I think I, I was already working from home in the hills. So yes. that wasn't too different either. And so I, I still got to work from home, which was great. I still got to coach. But some of my training programs um, had to go virtual. So that was a bit of a, not a learning curve as in methodology, but definitely in the tech side. It's, you know, uh, I, I'm comfortable in front of the camera. I was comfortable with methodology and uh, running webinars and those things that I was quite okay with, but running a live masterclass for four and six and eight hours virtually. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah. a bit of a challenge to start off with, but it can be done. And, and once you say it can be done, you just get better at, you know, how can I be of service to the people in their lounge rooms or in their home offices rather than being in that classroom? Um, and it wasn't just a, a matter of pulling your whole course and then doing the exact same thing online. Mm. You had to redesign your entire course um, to make it virtual friendly. Yeah. So, um, so it was a great challenge and it all worked. And, um, but now, of course, we're going back to face-to-face. Um, and blended. Some are choosing to do a little bit more face-to-face -face and uh, virtual, you know, yes. in the same course. Absolutely. So it's, it's good. definitely forever changed, um, but it's certainly everyone has seen what, what's possible to do virtually and, and still be of service to their clients. Yeah, that's right. And you put the um, online modules together as well for, for a professional speaking, oh, so a speaking masterclass, is that right? The Presentation Skills Masterclass? So now yeah. that was something that I've never given myself permission, the time to do <laughs> hundreds of hours, yep. uh, you know, lots of small webinars. So I've got a bit more time in my hands. Um, so I created my signature program, which was Exceptional Presenter. And the tagline was Powerful Presentation Principles, which was from my second book. So I've put my entire 52 presenting principles in a self-paced online masterclass now. So it's got oh, uh, yeah, over 50 videos, hundreds of resources and templates. And wow. so anyone anywhere in the world now can press a button um, and have access to the full course. Um, but as well, they can, there's still room for chats online, et cetera. So although it is self-paced, they still have a little bit of access, you know, to me and also the other students. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fun that's project, fantastic. a really good fun project as well. Yeah. That have will you... last longer than the pandemic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's, that's the thing. And have you found that uh, a lot of the clients you're working with have had a bit of a light bulb moment um, that they've, they've been not, well, they have been, they've been forced to, to go into this sort of space and do things more digitally than they ever were. Um, have you found any positive stories that have come from having to go into that 
pivot for want of a better word. Um, any clients you've dealt with that are having success with, uh, with what they're doing through what you're teaching them? Many stories. I think some are a little bit slower to get started. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's been interesting where people have said that it was quite stressful at the beginning. Uh, and, and I think, you know, many people experienced a, a sense of grief for those first three or, or four or six weeks, you know, when yeah. it happened, that had the loss of not going to work, you know, the loss of that certainty. Oh, yeah. So I think people already working from home probably experienced less loss or less grief. So many of us just got on with it very, very quickly. Um, so some of my colleagues who were already working from home, who probably experienced less loss, um, just got on to pivoting, if you want to use yeah. that word, pivoting rather quickly. And so started to put their, their virtual, uh, sorry, their face-to-face -face courses um, online pretty quickly. And um, they started creating webinars. They started writing books, started creating more content. Um, and others uh, in retail spaces started to put um, shops, retail um, shops online for their first time. Yeah. And, and the ones that are doing it well, I said, I can't believe we haven't done this before. So it's created a lot of opportunities for business owners as well. Not all business owners, you know, some have really struggled and my yeah. heart goes out for them. And some businesses will just not survive. Um, but other businesses will, um, will survive, but maybe will be forever changed. And, and other businesses will just look completely different at the other side. Mm. For sure. Absolutely. But well, lots yeah, of great something... success stories. Lots of great success stories as well. Yeah, because I know you work in a lot with um, business owners, Paul, and they do seek you out because you've had such a great succession of businesses. We didn't, well, we won't spend too much time on it, but you did actually even have a foray into hospitality, running a hospitality business way back, didn't you? Yeah, that was a Sunday drive moment. You know, you know when sometimes you go on a Sunday drive and you buy milk? I went on a Sunday drive for 10 minutes, you know, came back and said to my husband, I think I want to buy a hotel. And, <laughs> as you uh, do, as you do. Yes, he swears to everyone. He, he's bald, he has no hair. He swears to everyone he had hair just before that Yeah, <laughs> Of course, so, that's what you want to do. Yeah, overnight, um, we bought a historic hotel up here in the hills and, um, and it was a bit of a challenge. It was a business that hadn't made a profit in about 30 years. <laughs> you know, perfect business oh. to buy. And, uh, but the interesting thing is, is people say, how, how did you get all the business back? And I said, I used speaking. Yes. So yeah. We yeah. didn't yeah. do all the marketing and advertising and newspapers, et cetera. I went out and spoke to all the local business groups and I talked about the legends and, and all the history of this particular establishment. And uh, we just got the business back. Beautiful. So speaking well has done. always been my go-to marketing strategy for any business. And I've had multiple other businesses. Yes. Speaking has been my go-to marketing strategy. That's fantastic. Got to get on that soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you sold that business at some point along the way. So you're probably grateful in a way you're not in hospitality now, perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. nice to go and enjoy hospitality, isn't it, Paula? Oh, look, I, I was having a great time. <laughs> so it's uh, Hospitality is a, is a, it's a people business. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and my husband loved the property side, not so much the people side. Mm -hmm. And I love the people side. But I think it doesn't matter what business you have. Yeah. It, the foundations, you, you look after your staff, you look after your customers, 
and you look after your costs. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't think business is very difficult. I think we sometimes complicate it. Sure. Yeah. And if you look after the basics, those principles can apply to most businesses. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, marketing and using that strategy of speaking for you. I mean, that's your business card too. So when you are speaking, you know, people want to engage you as well. What, what's the thing that fires you up the most about working with people in the presentation space? Because I mean, obviously some people maybe want to be better at work through it or engage with their um, staff maybe if they're a CEO or they want to be more influential. So there's, there's good reasons why. But as we know, many people find it really nerve-wracking and some, for some, terrifying yeah. yeah. So can can you let us know what what is it about it that keep, keeps your interest after all this time too? Because you've been doing it for a while. <laughs> yeah. I think because I just know uh, from how powerful speaking is, um, and I, I live in two worlds. I, I I live in the world of businesses and entrepreneurs, and and then I have my corporate life as well. Um, so when I work with, with corporate organisations, I have clients of CEOs, senior executives or whole teams um, who I work with helping them to master their presentation skills. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are in your career. It's a must-have skill. It's, it's not a nice-to-have skill anymore. When you can communicate well, when you can stand up and present in front of your peers, you're more visible. So if you're more visible, you're more confident, you'll accelerate your career. And, and, and really understanding, I think when I did my master's, uh, I just wanted to dive more into human behaviour and what it was about leading from the front of the room that is so powerful. And I think it's when you understand human behaviour, you, you are much better in your communication skills. When you have For a sure. deep understanding of, of what makes people tick, whether it's the neuroscience, whether it's learning, and uh, whether it's emotional intelligence, when you understand human behaviour, mm. you can communicate with them more effectively. When you can communicate more effectively, you can stand up and present to a bigger audience. Yeah. So I guess presenting is really just, that's where everybody knows me, but I love anything to do with high-level communi uh, communication skills and human behaviour. Yeah, brilliant. And you've got a real love of learning, obviously, and a commitment to it. And sometimes we all love learning because we're in learning, but sometimes it actually is a commitment. You know, you've just recently completed a master's and you've done all of these other trainings, you know, learnings all the time as well. So, you know, we've probably well, we've bumped into each other at many events and functions along the years as well. So I know you've had a big, big commitment in that space. And I guess um, it's interesting in the talking about the presentation skills side of things, there are quite a few offerings in the market. So, you know, I mean, I, I came from the Toastmasters, you know, school, if you like, because I was told, oh, you need to present in your job. And I went, what? Okay. So I took myself off to Toastmasters. There's Rostrum. There's many people who teach presenting skills as, as um, freelancers and, and that sort of thing. So what do you feel, you know, probably just for, for our listeners who are thinking, okay, it's my livelihood of whatever I do. How do I stand out? But also, you know, we hear that term expert, sometimes and I'd just like your take on all of that as well ah so yeah the whole debate of who's an expert <laughs> yes. now, how do people choose you know how do people choose yeah. and discern mm. I think people just need to to do their homework you know when they're working not just obviously with a presenting expert with any expert 
And you know, have people got some runs on the board? Have they got personal experience with the topic? Number one, you know, and do they have a deep level of knowledge, not just through personal experience, but you know, do they have qualifications in there, you know, as well? And I guess it's you know, someone who spends their life learning about something, so you don't have to. (laughs) So you know, that's the person that you want to get to help you. So if somebody spent six months learning about something and then proclaims they're an expert, they might still have something to offer you. You know, I'm not saying that they won't have something to offer you because they may have been on a, you know, a journey in that six months. But yep. if you truly want to work with an expert, you know, look for things, longevity in the industry, you know, look for their, their qualifications, look for their personal experience, look for reviews, you know, look about who else they're working with. And it's not always the loudest person on the platform. Yeah. Not the, It's not always the ones who are all over Facebook and social media or, you know, whatever social media platform that you're on. And, uh, you know, sometimes it is the quiet achievers in the background doing amazing work. And um, so just do yeah. your homework and Absolutely. look a little bit deeper than your social media. Yeah. I mean, that's something Ed spends a lot of time with his clients because they might actually have great credentials, lots of experience, you know, they've got everything really but they're not being found as readily but then there's maybe newcomers who are quite digitally savvy and they're, and they're perhaps um, doing that better so yeah it's, yeah it's quite challenging isn't it it's quite challenging for individuals who, who are offering their services but also people that are trying to seek out those services sometimes which are, which of course is why we still have the word of mouth and so your reputation and people um, finding you through various means that's what we often find is the case but I guess it's a good message for experts as well as you might be the expert in your field, but if you're not visible, then people don't know that you're around and you might be the best kept secret. Yes. So it's, I guess it's yep. getting the balance right as well. You don't want to be too exposed. Otherwise people will go, you spend your entire life on social media. Are you not yeah. actually doing any work? <laughs> so yeah, it's getting cool. that balance yeah. right about being visible are being visible for the right things as well. You know, staying in your lane, you know, writing blogs and providing value to your audience. Mm. And, um, but also, um, you know, spending that time learning as much as you can and uh, going as deep as you can into your area of expertise. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find that uh, that's a common thing. And Miles and I see it all the time is there's uh, someone who's getting a lot of the work isn't necessarily... The, the one who's the most qualified to do that work, they just happen to be best at marketing themselves. Yeah. Um, very common to say. Sometimes the best at communicating their message. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I hear this all the time. You know, I work with a lot of academics and they get a bit upset if they're not the person being asked to speak at a conference or run a training session at a conference. And Mm -hmm. I go, well, perhaps you're the second expert uh, or the first expert, but the second expert is being asked because they have better communication skills and they're a much more engaging speaker or they have the ability to communicate their message more effectively. So, so that's why the experts as well, they might be, um, you know, fantastic in their area but they also need to learn how to communicate their area of expertise effectively. Yeah, very true, very true. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because also a lot of this relies upon excellence, doesn't it? The the better you do, the more people are going to see you and refer you. And I think that's where we see a lot of people um, really have a solid income and a reliable income is because of their reputation and and that people refer other people to them. And that's all behind the scenes and quite quiet. 
but we still need the digital visibility and those other appearances, if you like, to keep keep things ticking. Yeah. And there's so many places that that you can go and be visible. You know, you've got you know lots of the not-for-profits organisations and and the, the meetup groups all over um, you know all over town that are always asking for people to come and speak. So, I mean, we do have a saying in the business, so speak for fee or speak for free. (laughs) So, but if you are speaking for free, make sure that it's your ideal audience that you're speaking to. Mm. So who wouldn't want to stand in front of two or 300 people of their ideal clients and have an opportunity to share about their area of expertise or their business and products and services? Yeah. Yeah. You need to be strategic. For sure. Yeah, it's interesting though when you say who wouldn't want to. I'm, I'm thinking, I can <laughs> yeah. think of quite a few actually. 90% <laughs> of the population. Isn't that the worst thing though? Well, I mean, it's the worst and best thing because if you say, all right, I'm not comfortable, then, you know, seeking out someone like Paula to help you not only be comfortable, but actually deliver with impact um, and presence and then have people come to you afterwards and want to engage you, then I think I'd love to know what the percentage is, you know, that of people that will actually step forward. I think it's smallish, isn't it? I think it's becoming better now. You know, 20 or 30 years ago, um, Mm. people go through their whole careers and and never be expected to present. I work with a lot of graduates now. A lot of government organisations get me into work with their graduates. So a lot of organisations now are saying, no, you know, this is a career skill you need. The universities now are starting to lift their game and... uh, not just asking them to stand up and, you know, deliver in the classroom, but learning some powerful presenting skills so they're ready to hit the ground running when they go into the workforce. Yeah. So I, I think it's an expected skill now. So, uh, but you hit the nail on the head, something you just said a moment ago, it's not just about the confidence, about the impact that you're having when you're presenting as well. Because if it was just about confidence, it'll only be the confident people who stand up and present. Yes, it's about having the confidence to stand up and present, but it's also about having the skill to be able to communicate your message effectively, to be able to transform information into meaning for the people in front of them. It's about making sure that your message is memorable and has impact and you have the the right key messages in the right place at the right time for the right audience. Mm. So um, if you're going to be wanting to speak at conferences or, or speaking in front of groups of people, don't just think it's confidence. It's actually skill as well. Very much so. And I think, you know, culturally we've probably come a fair way, us Aussies, but we probably have a bit more of a way to go because when you think of our, you know, friends in the US who, you know, from a very young age, the kids are getting up and saying things in class. And I know that we do that here as well, but it just seems like they're, um, very much more confident in general. Yeah. I know it's a generalisation, of course, but um, here it's great to see it in the sporting clubs and, and family unit and, and things like that, but um, perhaps it's still gaining momentum there in terms of a, a bit of a cultural cringe about not being the tall poppy or standing up in front of people and things like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, circling back to your lovely story, Paula, at school was a great example of you being courageous and doing that and it actually had a great outcome so maybe we need more of those stories to be uh 
you know, circulated. Do you know what was really special, Lois? I went back to that same school last year to be their keynote speaker. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. so I hadn't stepped foot on my school grounds for, you know, 35, 38 years. Can't remember how many years now. And, but it was so surreal walking back, you know, into my school and, and standing on the exact same stage uh, where I was 15 years of age, you know, looking into their sea of faces. Now there was a thousand students and the teachers and, uh, and I got to share my story as being a student at that school. Oh. And, uh, and I was addressing their leadership team and their graduate you know, team as well about what was possible after school. And it was just such an honour and a privilege to stand up and address your old school. Yeah. <laughs> Full That's circle amazing. moment. It wow. was. It really was. Yeah, it was a real privilege. That's great. That's, that's cool because it, like, it's it is such a weird thing when you're, when you're at uh, high school because if people were to tell you the things that would unfold in the next 30 years or so, you'd go, nah, no. I mean, I think back to when I was at school and like as you were talking about computers, I was one of the first people in our high school to learn about how to use computers and they're exceptionally basic computers. But it's like you think, you know, a lot of the jobs that we have now and do, like my role as a digital marketing agency didn't exist. Digital marketing didn't exist. The internet didn't exist. You know? So it's like all these things happen. But I think, um, I, I think something that is universally sound and valuable is what you teach. And, and, and I think that's something that everybody, regardless of what space they're in, should have some degree of comfort and, and skill with, but it is, it is a big challenge. And so most people I, I speak to, no, nah, you would never be able to get them up on stage or even doing this, recording a podcast or they just, they, they don't have the confidence. I find that sad. So what, what are some of the things that you can do to help people and encourage people to get past that initial, I'm too scared. I'm don't feel confident. I think, a lot of people put the emphasis back on themselves is how will people judge me? You know, mm -hmm. what if I don't sound the best? Uh, what if I don't look the best? The second you, you move that energy to the audience is how can I be of service to the audience? What have I got to share? What if I, what's my gift for the person in front of me? Yeah. And I don't think anyone ever in my 30 years of standing up presenting has woken up in the morning and said to themselves, how can I mess up Paula's presentation today? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. in fact, they're not thinking about me at all. They're thinking about, you know, how they're going to get to the venue, what's going to be in it for them, how will they catch up with work, you know, I hope there's going to be some value today for them. They don't really think of me at all. And so, and when I'm being on stage, my only question should be is how can I be of service to the audience. Yep. So what's my gift? What could I share with them today that will help the people in front of me to reach their goals? And um, so I think the first thing people have to do is go say, yes, yes, I will present. And then always, yes, start with the, goal, the end in mind or the goal in mind. So say, yes, I will present. And then go, well, how will I do this now? You know, what gaps do I, I need work with? Do I need help with my confidence? Do I need help with putting a presentation together? Um, do I need help with my slides if I'm using slides? But you always have to start with saying yes first. And the first one is always the hardest. And as you both know, you've both presented, you're both doing these podcasts. You know how difficult it was maybe the very first time you had to do it. And now in 
yep. even in this podcast, you're number 12 in. You know, how much effort did you think about that this morning compared to the first one that you were doing? Well, I must this say, is about my, this is about my 400th this is about yeah. my 400th uh, podcast. But, yeah, but, just but, but I remember the first ones. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm still a newbie. But you, you're dead right because when I started my first podcast in 2007, um, it was like I was like far out. Do I really want to do this? What do I know? But I took it. I, I sort of shifted it in my head. I thought um, this is an experience coming from two ways. I want to learn. And I was interviewing people. So it was a similar sort of setup in terms of podcast. Thought, well, the best way for me to become a, an expert is to study other experts, interview other experts, find out what they know, and then share that information with other people. So it's a sort of like it's a, you know, everyone's benefiting from the process. But I didn't think that I knew everything. I didn't think I knew anything. I thought I knew basically hardly anything, but I thought I know how to ask questions. So if I just have put one foot in front of the other and ask some basic questions and get the ball rolling, uh, and, and that's how it all progresses from there. So, and the amount of people that I've had conversations with over the years have said, oh yeah, watch that podcast or that episode. And that was fantastic. And I learned this and now, yeah, and it's, yeah, you don't know. So I think if you just stay hidden in your shell, you're not getting to share what, not only what you know, but what other people know. So it's, go and for it. Opportunities that have been created from Completely. that to now the people that you've got to meet that you can Huge. call friends now you know as yep. well i get yeah. i get chills down my spine when you said that paula that's why i think if i hadn't done all those things all the people i wouldn't know and make connections with around the world and have seen and talked to and it's 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 scary to think if i hadn't done it so i think it's uh, i think coming from that perspective there's a huge amount of lost opportunity if you just don't put that foot out there and take a step. Mm, yeah. And I, I would say if anyone's watching this, uh, you know, who, who would you classify Paul as your ideal client? Who, who is it that you would like to come and contact you um, to, to get some, some training and some help with from what you do? Oh, look, I know we do work on personas, so, but if I have a look at the diversity of my clients, so this week I'm working with TEDx presenters. So um, tomorrow sure. I've got rehearsals all day, helping um, academics and TEDx presenters, So uh, who is not my typical client, but some of those uh, people that I'm working with would be a typical client. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with large organisations, some of Australia's largest organisations get me to work with their teams. So in that moment, they are my ideal client. <laughs> Yes. Then, you know, the, the next day after that, I'm working with a small business, um, maybe helping three or four of their key people um, put together some presentations some, and some marketing presentations. Um, so uh, my ideal client is somebody who is passionate to make an impact. And whether that's yep. a corporate client, a senior executive or a graduate from school, if they want to develop their, their presenting skills or their leadership skills or the communication skills, uh, they are my ideal client. Yeah. It doesn't really and answer your question really, does it? No, 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 it does. And But the thing is, because you've created, and this is a great thing, and Lois has done this too, because you've created a course, you can accommodate a wider range of people. I think it's a good thing for people to keep in their minds because some people may not necessarily be able to afford 
your yeah. consulting fees um, because you are one of the best in the country at what you do. So you're going to charge accordingly. And that's what people have to also get a mindset with how they deal with how they charge. Um, so, but you've created uh, uh, learning possibilities and, and training so that if people don't necessarily uh, want to engage you one-to-one, they can go and do the course. So how, how is it they best get in touch with you, Paula? What's the, what's the best so- way to reach you? Everything leads back to my Paula Smith website. So, Mm -hmm. uh, which if they just Google paulasmith.com.au, they'll find me. So uh, everything leads back to there. So my training company, which is the Global Institute of Training and Presenting, even though that has its own website, there's a link uh, from there to my website. There's my online academy, which you can press a button on my website and it takes you to the online academy. And it was a great point you said about, you know, experts and prices. And you're right, there is only one of me. And uh, and I get a lot of requests. And sometimes, you know, people may go, wow, you know, it might be a little bit out of their budget to work with me. So that's a really a good reason why I put an online course together because it's cost effective for uh, to have deep level learning, but perhaps not have that level of private coaching. Sometimes people will do the whole course and then just book one session with me, which is fine as well. Yep. Yep. So, um, and that's a great way for other experts. If you know, they are struggling with that time, um, put some online courses together, sure. virtual yeah. offerings, and yeah, um, yeah it, you know, it's a great way to, to reach a much wider market and you can afford to be that little bit more cost effective as well. And that's why yeah, a lot of experts yeah. write books as well, because somebody can have a snapshot of your skills and your expertise for $25 in a book. So yes, you know, that's a great yeah. way of learning from experts as well. Mm. No, I found fantastic. the online learning fantastic for um, that flipped learning. So, you know, that people could, gather up the theory and the information and then and then have a session with you so it's cost effective time effective um and yeah it keep, keep, gets sort of straight to the hub of the matter that's fantastic paula thank you for sharing your wealth of wisdom with us today ah, and there's still well so done. many years left to go absolutely <laughs> that's it yes More books. Uh-huh. Fun. we are just babies yeah Oh, well. So, uh, thank you so much for inviting me to come and share with you again, you guys. And Our pleasure. Um, yeah, and for a continuing relationship with you for many years to come. Yes, Absolutely. Li- likewise. So, uh, yes, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we appreciate you uh, watching this episode, episode number 12. Very exciting. Many more. Special episode, apparently. Apparently, very special. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Paula. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Stay safe, stay happy, and be bold. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye.